girls But maybe you need to bad about my boss Take a break from work today is no total loss Welcome, welcome, welcome to this It's finally pheasant season, Christmas Eve All the best things in life rolled into one October edition of the Game Fishing Parks Podcast and Blast. I am your host, Chris Hull, currently about half laid up with a bad back from out chasing roosters. But uh, I'm here gritting my teeth with a smile on my face. Riding Shotgun is our official co-host, Nick Harrington. You know, Hull, there's good fishing this time of year, too. And uh, sitting in the boat is a lot safer, just just so you're aware. Believe me, fall fishing is... uh, I'm all over the fall fishing. It's it's just I might need a wheelchair with four-wheel drive to get out there. And uh, repeat customer, repeat guy in the hot seat, uh, wildlife director Tommy Kirschman, the Eureka Flash, if you will. And uh, we're going to go over the commission meeting that we had October 5 and 6 out in Deadwood. Tommy, thanks for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. It's uh, it's still resident hunting opener, so I, I appreciate that you don't have your boys... Out, out in a slough up by Eureka somewhere, banging we, on. We thought about ditching school. <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, <laughs> school gets out. There's still four hours of shit. Yeah, well, yeah. we did that a lot back in the day. Yeah. Um, so. We talked about it last night. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Mom might have put the kibosh on. She that. didn't know about the conversation. <laughs> there you go. She's working today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't even know. So yeah, so we had commission meeting uh, in Deadwood. Always awesome to be out in the hills and get a chance for some of our commissioners to meet up with some of our staff and and see some of the cool projects that we've got going on. Um, kind of a full meeting, you know. It was it was one of those things that that uh, maybe a few things got talked about and came out of the woodwork that we don't always spend a lot of time on. But um, you know, let's start with that, Tommy. Let's start right off the bat with a the petition that we had um, for non-resident raccoon hunting with hounds kind of an interesting topic something that you know i've hunted raccoons i know we probably all have but never with a dog but it sounds like a lot of fun but just talk about that tommy and where we're going with that yeah so you know it's again it's one of those petitions that came from the public where again the public has the opportunity to approach the commission about changing some type of season or a regulation Mm -hmm. or whatever it might be and in this particular case a gentleman from out in spearfish area who's part of the south dakota houndsman uh, a group of folks that are very, very adamant about the sport that they enjoy doing and, and the activities and opportunities that they that, that provides, um, they brought forward a petition that asked for the allowance of non-residents to use hounds for hunting of raccoons because currently there's a restriction in place that does not permit or allow a non-resident to come into South Dakota, use hounds mm-hmm. for the purpose of the take of raccoons. A lot of history around it going back quite some time. Um, it's been in place for quite a while. Uh, probably some of that history and background is why that was put in place. There was concern of competition for the resource right. or uh, in particular there was a lot of conversations back in the day about having the activity of use of dogs and hounds for uh, going after raccoons of trespass concern, especially in eastern South Dakota where your land ownership tends to be smaller Mm -hmm. and some of those issues um, as many folks may not know there's actually a smaller time window for non-residents to hunt and take raccoons in South Dakota basically from December 15th through the end of March if I remember the dates right or pretty Mm -hmm. close to that whereas for residents it's year-round so they brought this forward 
for the the request to the commission to uh, make an allowance for non-residents to come in and use hounds um, to take raccoon, but they also had included in their petition a limit of one raccoon per day. And that was probably the most interesting part of the whole conversation. Yeah, when you think of raccoons, there's no shortage of raccoons across the whole state of South Dakota. Um, we have the we have the bounty program, and right. raccoons yep. is the number one critter that's taken during that program. Yep. We have a lot of landowners that trap raccoons uh, for the sole purpose of trying to bolster pheasant production and other ground nesting bird production on their properties. Um, some of the the try to get rid of the nuisance that love to go in and tear up and cause havoc on right. sweet corn, for example. Right. And so it was interesting that one re or one limit per day for a non-resident was included. And and in that conversation by the commission, they agreed with one didn't make a whole lot of sense. And they, they did see some value in, in continuing this conversation. So the commission ultimately denied the petition, primarily from the standpoint, they didn't necessarily agree with the one per day. Right. And so they denied the petition, but what they did do is they told the petitioner and the department to go back and look at what would be ways to incorporate the allowance of non-residents to use hounds uh, for the take of raccoon. And what we will do then is, now that we've gotten that direction from the commission and the action they took, we'll have that part of our internal conversations when we look at fur bear seasons coming up over the next several months that'll be part of that conversation. We'll bring forward some type of recommendation for the commission to consider at that time. Sure. For, for me, this was interesting because, you know, we're all about, you know, opportunity and access. And, and you know, we always talk about whatever we can do to get people outdoors and, and active in, in hunting and fishing and camping. This is one that, I, you know, kind of came out of left field and it was a, a different kind of a look at, you know, because every one of those guys and, and gals that came up there, they were talking about how they love to take their families, how they love to take their yeah. friends, how they love to take their kids. And the other the other thing was, and it, and it really kind of warmed my heart, because as a communications person, and Nick's nodding his head, you know, we, we tend to really get in the weeds on a lot of stuff and make stuff complicated. And for years, you, uh, Simpson, you know, Deputy Director Simpson, Kevin, previous secretaries, the fish guys, we got to make stuff simpler. We got to make stuff simpler. So when the commission got hung up on that, I was like, yes, yes. Like, okay, this might not seem mm -hmm. like a big deal, but for Nick and I to go out and make sure everything's correct on the information yeah. that we send out and you got to put another subheading in there and another star and another asterisk, it was just like, okay, this totally makes sense. Now we got a little bit hung up on it and, you know, you saw a lot of people kind of tilting their heads sideways going, what, why are we doing this? But you know that's a that's a big thing. We got to make things as simple as possible, and, and you know not air, but also you know make it so if somebody picks up that hunting handbook, they can go, okay, I'm a non-resident. Wait, I can only have one. I didn't see that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's a big part of regulations. And when you consider the the one per day that was requested in the petition, that just adds a whole other level of complexity right. to rules and regulations. And so we we don't want to go down that path. The other thing with this type of petition though, every time you talk about the use of hounds, not dogs for like pheasant hunting, but hounds that are trained to go track down and tree a critter or something right. like that, it brings out a lot of emotion yeah. as well from both sides and anywhere in between the spectrum there. And that was part of what we heard at the commission meeting too. I mean, there are folks that are adamantly opposed to the use of hounds for 
tracking and chasing animals. And then the other end of the spectrum, it's it's a key part of what folks do. Right. I yep. mean, they go out and train these dogs on a daily basis and run them and work with them and train them. And right. $3,000 GPS yeah. collar yep. on an $8,000 <laughs> right. dog. Right. right. And so it's an interesting topic because, again, it's going to be one of those that will always bring up a lot of emotion, yep. a lot of conversation and dialogue and no shortage again in this particular petition. Right. And, and Tom, I always like to bring this up when we talk about petitions, but we, we keep talking about the one thing, right? And I say one, you know, with a double entendre. But when we have these petitions, that is, it. they have to be accepted as written. So if it is one, if it is two, if it is unlimited, that is what the petition, the commission is right. taking action on. But again, like you said, that doesn't preclude, we didn't like that one thing. But that doesn't stop it from being part of a proposal right. in the coming months. Right. And that's why the commission came back and directed mm-hmm. us as a department to go back and further look at this and bring some alternatives or recommendations that would fit within what they were asking, but also fit with what the commission was right. thinking mm-hmm. as well. And so it's it was denied, but I wouldn't say it was completely tabled because there will be more right. dialogue about it. For sure. And this was petition number 203 since the start of the petition process. Yes, so. sir. <laughs> It's a lot of petitions. Yes, it is. <laughs> so we didn't have any proposals uh, for this meeting, so we'll go down in the finalizations. First one was the free park entrance and fishing. And Tommy, I'm going to be honest with you. So what this finalization did was take away those Mother's Day, Father's Day, free park entrance, free fishing. Right. I was completely against that when, when uh, Director Van Meteren brought that up. And he and I had a long conversation at the Buffalo Roundup about it. But, you know, he honestly said, it's not moving the needle. Yeah. You know, most of our folks, you know, why we might hear a few people say, yeah, we appreciate it. But most of our folks have bought those licenses, bought those fishing licenses. We're still going to have free park entrance, free right. fishing weekend, which right. is a huge deal. I mean, you go to the shores of, of Lake Sharp that weekend and people are fishing white bass and walleyes and catfish and stuff. Right. Just wasn't really moving the needle and we weren't seeing any bumps in, yeah. in park entrance. So... Yeah, it's, didn't hear anything about it. No, it was very quiet. It was very quiet from that perspective. And again, I think the key point that you said that weekend prior to Memorial Day is still going to be that opportunity for that free free fishing and free uh, camping there at the state parks, free entrance there. Um, when you looked at the Mother's Day and Father's Day, as was described, we talked about the commission meeting. You know, the Mother's Day is a little bit earlier. Sometimes the weather isn't the greatest. Mm-hmm. You know, you still have people go out and enjoy depending on what the weather is doing, but. You know, again, it's really not moving the needle on right. the gauge. By the time you get to the mid-June or third week of June, whatever it is, at Father's Day, probably the vast majority of those folks already have their park entrance license right. and all that stuff, or they have their fishing license. They're going at it already. So, But there's still that one opportunity that weekend, right. which will be a, more of the focal point then, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what we'll really try to let people be aware of, and that opportunity exists. And, and hopefully we do get some new people that go out and try it and quote-unquote get them hooked, right? Right. And continue fishing, continue to use the outdoors, and and we'll still have that opportunity available for people. Yeah. Uh, next finalization, uh, kind of in Nick's wheelhouse. Nick, you want to lead on that one? Yeah, so this is our Hunt for Habitat raffle. A little background on that. 2019 was our first year of the Hunt for Habitat. Um, at that time, new, exciting opportunity, something the department had never offered. Ten licenses. We had those triple tags. So the any deer, any antelope, and any elk, and then that um, standalone Custer State Park buffalo tag too. Um, but 
that's kind of that kind of got a little stagnant. It's time to switch it up. What are what are we switching it up to? Yeah, good point. And again, that's what we talked about with the commission, both at finalization and when we brought this recommendation as a proposal, is just to freshen it up a little bit, taking a little bit new look. So instead of having four total packages, we will now have six opportunities or six winners instead of four. So that provides more opportunities. We'll still retain the trophy bison hunt in Custer State Park. We will then have two deer licenses, but they'll be standalone. So that'll be two winners for an any deer tag that should be valid across the state of South Dakota, which provides obviously some very unique opportunities for that. And then we will have three packages that include two licenses, both an any deer and an elk license. And we'll have three winners there. Now, another key part of that, residents and non-residents are eligible to put in for these hunts. But in particular, those that have the two tags, the deer and the elk, of those three, no more than one non-resident can draw out of those three packages. So very similar structure to what we had prior. Um, But again, just trying to look at freshening it up a little bit, unique opportunity. It provides the hunting opportunity in the end for those that want to participate. The whole purpose and why we do it, though, is based on the title, right? Hunt for Habitat. Mm -hmm. And the dollars and the funds that we raise from the raffle may call it that, we use to put habitat back on the ground, in particular in our game production areas across the whole entire state. And, and you know, Tom, you bring up a really good point, too. When, when we look at how much money this hunt for habitat's made, I mean, r- roughly, since 2019, we're looking $1.3 million. And if, yeah. and if, I, can, if I recall correctly, that money goes into those game production areas, too. Right. It's, it is that public land habitat. It's across the state. It's big game. It's small game. It's every part of, it's every yeah. part of habitat. And, and, you know, one thing that even stands out to me that I like about this is you know, if I don't draw my license, my deer license here in June, I can I can throw 10, 20 bucks at this and I can go get that any deer license. And I'm not unit specified. So to have those additional winners, I think that's something that flies under the radar. Like the, yeah. the three tag package sounded and looked really good. But then when I think about it as, a, as an application standpoint, I'm going to have my Stanley County deer hunt this year. I ain't going to get it next year, but I'll throw 20 bucks right. to see. You, you might have a better odds of drawing one of these yeah, no tags kidding. than you would for a specific <laughs> right. unit in the you, Black Hills. You do. Sure, right? You do. It's just yep. for, the, for the huge demand for those types of licenses. You know, the other thing is those are really super tags. They're good. You could start archery hunting. But man, if you right. were hell-bent on shooting a monster mule deer or a monster monster elk and you got that tag in your pocket, you got a lot of days to hunt. Yeah, a you're lot not of country restricted to, to a two-week period. Right, yep. and you can go anywhere. Right. You know, you yeah. start in Roberts County and end in Edgemont if you wanted to. Could yeah. you imagine that? I mean, that? I couldn't. I'd be divorced. But. <laughs> <laughs> Being able to hunt a deer in velvet and the rut all on the same license yeah. with whatever. I mean, yeah, that's that's, cool that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's yeah. a unique opportunity. Again, what what we're focused on, provide the opportunity, but even more important from my end is then that we go put that on the ground and improve our GPAs right. and better nesting cover, better woody habitat, food plots. And in the Black Hills region on some of those GPAs, you know, it's a different type of habitat management. We might do some thinning to open up the forest a little bit, which provides better cover yep. um, and release of hardwood plantings. Uh, I mean, so it's it's a really neat thing the way this all works out. And uh, we do some really good habitat work with the funds generated from yep. the Hunt for Habitat. Yeah, and your point your point is well, well taken. It's not just pheasant habitat or anything. I mean, we got to go out, visit up by Crow Peak, and yep. see that kind of that oak restoration. Yeah. Yep. That, 
it doesn't look like much, but when you fly the drone and you start looking at that, you're like, God, every turkey and deer in the world must live here, you know, and it, yep. they do. Talking about high-quality deer, turkey, and yeah. elk habitat, right? no doubt about it. The other thing that stood stuff. out to me, this is just me being, you know, a nerdy biologist kid, but, I mean, how old are those oak trees? We're not talking, we're not talking yeah. Nick 27, we're talking... 270 to 450 yeah, years they live that. up to i think we 450 it was just ridiculous how old they were so. but it, it just stands out to me too you know we talk about future generations here but those are the types of projects that stand out to me you know it's gonna be five years before you even really see the full impact of of that project right but at the same time that's gonna be four human four or five human family generations right. that are yeah. hunting that exact parcel of ground and you know, that's just awesome to me to think, you know, in the grand scheme of things, the three of us here, as far as the landscape and habitat, we ain't here for a very long time, so we got to do our part now. Yeah. Of course, you just did say Nick 27. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My back just went, <laughs> <laughs> I said it. We're not going to say Chris and Tom numbers out. No. <laughs> we'll give the little one. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that's it for finalizations. Get into yeah. some action items. Um, Tommy, just briefly touch on that Custer State Park Airport, um, kind of what's going on, what the, commu- uh, yeah. the committee, commission decided to do there. Yeah, a lot of conversations going on on the parks and recreation side in respect to the Custer State Park Airport, and commission and department have received a lot of input from the public on this, again, from A to Z, no big surprise. Um, but where it stands right now, it's one of those things that just the cost to repair and maintain and keep it up for a future use is just outside the realms of what the department's looking to do. And so a lot of dialogue conversation going back and forth, but ultimately at the commission meeting, the commission took some formal action and their next step basically is to let the current airport permit that's issued to have it to expire, which will expire at the end of the calendar year. Yep. And then the intent would be to move forward with removing that, removing the fence and there's an old structure out there that's been a lot of wind damage and things that uh, park staff will remove and then ultimately will be removing the runway itself with reverting it back to habitat mm-hmm. uh, that fits right within that area. So the commission took that action at the commission meeting as well. And, and that just ties directly into our second goal for our strategic plan, asset management. I mean, this yeah. is an asset we have that just wasn't meeting the needs of right. what it is here for, and it didn't make yeah, sense right. to continue moving forward with it, so and we're we're managing them appropriately. And it's an interesting concept of a state park operating and managing right. an airport, airport. Right. but it's it's not the same as you think of an airport in Rapid yep. City Airport yeah. or Sioux Falls Airport. Or There's a tipped over shed there. So, yeah. Yeah. so we don't have any game fishing parks, transportation security agents, no, no, no TSA screenings. I was going to take that job. <laughs> but I do believe one component of it that they will retain, I believe there will be a helicopter pad yeah. in mm-hmm. area, in particular yep. for wildland fire and yep. those yep. types of things, should the event be yeah. needed. Yep. And, so. and, you know, that was that was the question that came up from several of those commissioners as well. Doesn't wildland fire or the National Guard or anybody use it? And the answer was no. They can land a helicopter just about anywhere in the yep. park where right. there's some flat ground. And it's not worth the, what was it going to be, $2.5 million yeah. down the that line. That was just for now. Yep. Yeah, yeah, just for now to fix it. So, kind of an interesting thing. I heard from a lot of pilots yeah. and stuff because you know it's just like a school right once right once a community loses their airport well this is just the park and, and it really wasn't getting used so right right um a couple other things kind of a cool one uh over and around that huron area that lake byron land exchange that's just 
uh, I think we're making lemonade out of lemons on that, right? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a complicated situation, to be right. quite honest with you. You know, encroachment, yep. had some accidental encroachment on a piece, little piece on Lake Byron. Yep. yep, and so with that, we've been working with two different parties to try to find a fix to it, which we actually came up with a really unique opportunity and quite honestly a really good fix to to undo a wrongdoing right Right. and something that was not done intentionally either but with that encroachment issue um, the individual wants to remove or uh, liquidate that building somebody else is interested in it Um, so we're trying to figure out what was the approach and then we ended up through multiple conversations found this other piece of property up in uh, in Day County uh, right Uh, the uh, what grade is it again? Grenville. Grenville, thank yep, you. Yep. And it'll be a unique opportunity, so that'll be part of this transaction, but with that is going to certainly provide a whole lot of fishing opportunity to a lot of oh, people. Uh, and that's going to be the end result of a, essentially getting rid of 0.2 acres from a rec area and state-owned land right there at Lake Byron. Right. So it's a complicated thing, but at the end it's going to work out very well. And it's going to be actually a positive for right. our sportsmen and women in South Dakota. Do we have a formal action on that coming? We will, right? Yeah, right. that so commission will be talking formal about action that. in November. We'll be talking about that right. a little bit more next month. And right. I, I think you bring up a great point, Tom. You know, I was sitting there, and whole knows I love baseball, and I'm sitting there, and it kind of felt like it was the MLB trade deadline, and three teams oh, were, and correct. we were getting a superstar player, yeah. and all we were giving up was one of our A guys. Yeah. I was like, did I read that right? right. It did kind of feel like professional sports. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, two teams is one thing, but three teams is a right. whole lot different. It was just like, oh my goodness, how do you get your head wrapped around <laughs> right. this? And I, I think if it shakes out, you know, you, you provide some uh, kind of a memorial to a to a family on one end. Yeah. You provide. I've I've seen that point because it's right by the boat ramp there, and I've drooled over that sucker. And I'm yeah. sure our habitat and you know access crews are going. Oh man, you yeah. think it's good? You know, it's got potential. Just watch because that. I mean, that's for duck hunters for. Uh, maybe even some pheasant hunters, but for fishing, certainly. Oh yeah. man, shoreline the shoreline fishing, fishing opportunity phenomenal. there is, is drooling. So I'm going to be gone next June. I'll have a tent pitched okay. up there and All be right. gone for a week if I can sleep. Send us the coordinates. Right. <laughs> uh, roundup recap. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we did the Buffalo Roundup. It was awesome. Go to South Dakota Public Broadcasting and watch the uh, watch the replay uh, if you can stand my droning on about buffalo and and uh and all the all things cowboy and cowgirl that was cool stuff another record attendant attendance uh the buffalo didn't really cooperate they broke into three groups which i think i've only seen once before so i i always sit there and listen the whole do it and i go oh i don't think that's right i don't think that's how it's supposed this doesn't seem like it's going all that well (laughs) it went the way they wanted exactly (laughs) And then, you know, just a bunch of cool stuff going on in the parks, too. We had the 25th anniversary of the Mickelson Trails Track. Uh, you want to talk about an event that, you know, has just been sold out for years, um, you know, to the fact where they had to create a summertime trek just to right. keep people happy. And that's a big, big event. Cool stuff. And lots of cool Halloween and fall stuff going on in the parks, too. So um, good stuff for fall, even for, for the parks. They're wrapping up, but there's still plenty to do in the next couple months in state parks and even over the winter. So Good weather, fun weather always helps, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, and this last five inches of rain wasn't snow. Yes, so that's true. That's yeah. <laughs> We're happy. Yeah. 
Um, then we get into some division of wildlife action items. I think, Tommy, the, the first one, the one that probably everybody took the most interest in was the potential elimination of a non-resident one-day fishing license. Yeah, so this was a conversation that's been going on for a little while, and we brought some information to the commission at the last commission meeting in respect to this. And again, quickly, you know, for a non-resident, there are three license options available to them, a one-day, a three-day, and an annual license. When you look at it from a resident perspective, we offer a one-day and annual, but then as a residence, we also have the option to buy like a combination license. Mm -hmm. So there's a different, little bit of a different approach and some different privileges offered there to the residents. But one of the things that was looked upon on the non or excuse me, the non-resident one-day fishing license, you know, we go back the last couple of three years, we've seen a really big spike in the numbers, which is great. People are out there fishing, right? Which is one thing we want. Um, but when we also, when we did an assessment of all the different numbers and, and licenses that are being purchased as one day, it became very apparent too that, you know, there's a high volume, a high number of folks buying one, two, three, and then it precipitately drops off because at that point, you know, you would have been better off just buying a three-day right. license, mm -hmm. which also then includes and required the habitat stamp purchase. And so we had a lot of conversations about that with the commission and at the previous commission meeting, we brought it forward and did a recommendation that, hey, we should take a look at that and maybe just not provide that option available. So over the last month, we didn't hear a lot of comment and then very close to the commission meeting the last couple of days, we really started getting a lot of input from the tourism industry, the guiding industry, and just individuals that enjoyed going with family and friends, whatever it might be. Right to go fishing for a day. The commission received a lot of comments in respect to the removal of the one-day non-resident fishing license. A lot of good dialogue, some great points were made on both sides. People shared their concerns. Um, so the commission still has a lot of interest in this topic. They did table it at their commission meeting. Uh, they did not take any final action. They asked us, the agency, to go back and look at this some more. Uh, they want to hear some more input over this month of October essentially, uh, leading up to the November commission meeting where they will take some type of formal action, whether it's to move forward with not uh, uh, providing the one day or take a different approach to it or if they're going to do something else. It's hard to say right now. Um, so as a department, we'll have some more internal conversations, look at that, uh, maybe bring forward some additional ideas or recommendations mm -hmm. for them to talk about. but. They really wanted to table it until November so they could get some more public input from folks and see what their perspective was. So again, not a surprise from some of the comments that we did hear from the public. Um, we expected some of that. And, um, but you know, anytime you start making adjustments or taking right. something away or sometimes adding things, you know, it's certainly going to generate a lot of dialogue. Um, it certainly can get emotional and it did in this case as well, right? In which, again, we anticipated. Um, but what I would offer up to the public is that, again, this is, I think, one of the best things that our agency does is this public input process. You know, the commission on last commission meeting, they could have just said, done, moving forward with this, right. or no, we're not gonna move forward with it. But from the public input they heard, they thought it was best to hear more. And so they have that ability to do that. And so, again, I think the transparency and taking the public input and going through that process is always help, helpful and healthy, sometimes not easy. Right. 
Um, but so I anticipate some more spirited conversations at the November Commission meeting. But um, that's what the commission was desiring to get more input, and that's what we're doing. Yeah. And, and you know, Tom, you kind of you kind of stole my thunder there because I think that was an awesome. I was going to lead into this is a great way to get public input. But the other thing I would say too is. We're talking about non-residents here, and obviously we meet in South Dakota, but when I talk to folks, that the ability to testify via Zoom, via remotely, yeah. this you don't have to drive to Deadwood, South Dakota anymore. You don't right. have to drive to Aberdeen or right. Pierre. You could be anywhere, and you could weigh in on this. So I think that's something that, especially as we talk about a, a non-resident-specific issue, I, I think it's good to showcase, too, that we have those remote testimony options that if you're down in Omaha... It doesn't make sense to drive to Deadwood, yeah. but you still have that opportunity to to have your voice heard by the commission, and of course, our website as well is is obviously open for open right. for anyone too during the public comment period. It's also why I don't have any hair because that morning we're trying to set stuff up and we can't get it to work, and both of our phones are going crazy. People going, "What's going on with this non-rent?" Um, Go to the website. We're trying to fix it so you can testify if you right. need to. Right. Yep. So I had a few phone calls like <laughs> yeah, that. So did I. <laughs> And I mean, it was itch. I mean, I I talked to several folks on the phone, and honestly, I talked to a couple of guides that called me the day before while they were out guiding. Mm-hmm. Yep. They were on the boat, you know, and you could hear the waves and you could hear the wind, and they were saying their their reason of justification why they were opposed to it, you know. And so, again, it does provide opportunities. I think one last thing that I would mention about this, you know, when we talk about licenses and the revenue that it brings in. To me, the most important thing about this conversation, though, is ultimately those financial resources that come in from any type of license type, I don't care which one it is, that gives us the ability and the resources to go offer the programs and services that we do provide for any and all. You know, and when we talk about fishing licenses, obviously it helps us put in new boat docks, fish cleaning stations, shoreline access areas even just trails and roads sometimes to get to the fishing mm-hmm. spots right. as well. And so when we talk about those things, the one important part for me, though, is for us to be able to provide those things because that's an expectation of our yeah. anglers, yeah. right? And they want those things, and we want to be able to provide them as well. And that's one part of doing the business, right, is you have to have those financial resources right. to be able to go out and do that. So, Yeah, I mean, I think that's spot on. And, and you know, you talk to talk to folks and, you know, you start telling them what the habitat stamp has done and, and you know, the, you see a kind of a blank stare until you hit one that's, oh, yeah, I use that one. Yeah. I like mm-hmm. that one a lot. Or, oh, that's in my area and, yeah, my kids use that one or whatever. Right. You know, it starts hitting home and it's, you know, maybe the Burr Oak project out in, out in the hills doesn't mean a thing, but you start hitting home and, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, so it kind of starts to balance out a little bit. I know there. one of those new boat docks that we put in was at Dry Lake, Long Lake, whatever it was mm-hmm. in eastern South Dakota. Mm-hmm. It was about a $250,000, $300,000 project. Yeah. You know, phenomenal yep. boat ramp, right? Great access to phenomenal fishing. You know, you pull up and you see the big boat dock and, and all that, and you go, oh, this is great. But you don't sit there and think about, man, that costs 300000 to do that. Right. Yep. You, know, you think you just, ah, you move a little right. dirt, and you slide the dock down there. and that, that is, Right? That is <laughs> the biggest thing that stood out to me when I started in this, in this yeah. career with GFP was, holy smokes. That costs I, what? I, view, I viewed that as where I back my boat in and tie up for about five minutes, and right. then I run to the fish cleaning station that right. costs how many tens of thousands of right. dollars? Wait, how many? Right. And, you know, that's the type of thing. But 
that's what all our licenses did. Everyone that launched there, that's what we're all supporting. And right. but yeah, like you say, you don't, you don't, you don't see the dollar sign and the amount of work that goes into this. And right. I've had the unique perspective to be able to now, and it's a holy smokes yeah. moment. Yeah, but, it, but that's that's giving the people the ability to go out and enjoy. Right, exactly. And that's right. that's our focus. Yep. And it also, you know, like some of the habitat stamp dollars and stuff allows us to be a little bit more nimble too. Is yeah. especially for you as a manager, you know, and, and a budget manager is okay we got a problem at rush lake my god there's cars parked everywhere and we can't get tractors or even a truck through okay we need a parking spot you know we need a parking lot and a boat ramp where what are we going to do okay you know and then you're doing those deals and talking to people and finding the right spot and trying to alleviate some of that stuff for public safety for landowners i mean we're trying to keep those folks up there happy and keep people safe so having some of that kind of funds that go directly towards those projects and something comes up, you know, we're not we're gonna not, not gonna go willy nilly into it. We're gonna look and try to find a good situation, but it allows us to act a little quicker, right. quickly, right. more quickly sometimes. Yeah. So kind of interesting. That that'll be cool, and that'll be a good discussion uh, for our meeting in November. Right. Um, now we're just basically kind of getting not towards the end, but into more of the information items. And I think one of the ones that that allows for some public input and and discussion and probably interest is the Bighorn Sheep Action Plan. Yeah. So the action plan really is is our way of describing we revise and update our management plan for Bighorn Sheep like we do many other critters. Um, our staff did a great job pulling this together. It's available out there on our website. People can go look at it, read it, submit any type of suggestions, recommendations, or questions to our staff about Bighorn Sheep. One of those unique ones, right? Bighorn Sheep is a once-in-a-lifetime deal in South Dakota. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago we had one bighorn sheep tag. We're right. up to nine, ten right now right. between different units in the Black Hills and then out there by uh, the Badlands National Park outside of it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but just some unique bighorn sheep hunting opportunities, uh, viewing opportunities. A lot of people love to go out there and photograph mm-hmm. bighorn right. sheep, um, watch them. And we've had some really successful management stories in relation to bighorn sheep. Our number one nemesis when it comes to bighorn sheep is pneumonia. And it's amazing and how quickly you can have a herd of 150 and literally within weeks you could be down to 35. Right. It's awful. Just happened in the Badlands. Yeah, just awful on how quickly one disease or one outbreak like that can just put the whole demolish to a, a population. We have been doing some things, what we call of removing shedders, and we go in and we capture them and identify them through blood work and different things of a pneumonia shedder and remove them. And it's a true testament to the work that the guys have done uh, in Custer State Park. We were down to basically 20 sheep, 25 sheep, and no production of lambs for a long, long time. We implemented that approach, and here we are today. We have a season back in Custer State Park. We're having phenomenal lamb production and survival just a super success story and so I would encourage anybody that's got an interest in bighorn sheep to go out and take a look at the action plan if you have any comments please let us know but we'll be asking the commission to take formal action on that in November and pass the new updated uh, action plan and move forward for another five years of managing bighorn sheep yeah I've, I've got I've been lucky in my GFP career I've gotten to go and and bring home some sheep a couple different yeah. times and uh, and even been on a couple of the netting things in, in Rapid City, that Rapid City herd. And they really are a, a cool critter, and it it kind of came back to me when I was in 
out in the Custer State Park for the Roundup. The number of those critters and the number of people that's, I mean, it'll lock traffic up. Yeah, yep. you know when they're down when they're down kind of by the game lodge and in that yep. area, Grace Coolidge walking, it will lock traffic up and people are out and their jaws are dropped and you stop and talk to them. And they're, I you know I was here ten years ago and you couldn't find them. Well, and it there doesn't weren't have, any. It doesn't have to be a big ranch right? either. No, it's, it's it could be some used right. Yep. Yep. Some kids, right? Yep. yep. And then you know they see the collars and it's immediately like, well, what are you doing here? And yeah. how did that happen? And that's a really cool story. And you're right, it does do testament to our guys and gals that are out work doing that work and you know i encourage anybody for any of these information items or anything else we've got all the audio on on our website go and listen because whether it's cwd or the bighorns or you know even the lake chub stuff that's all super interesting stuff yeah and and if you're interested in it at all and you start listening to it and what goes into the work what goes into the cost of those bighorn sheep projects I mean, you know, Commissioner Beast, you know, asked that question, and I think every one of the commissioners went, oh, boy, you know, that's, you know, but it also goes to the Bighorn Sheep auction tag and, you know, the, the priority that, that you and, and our staff have put on that critter, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. Yeah, it's it, it's a unique management approach when you talk Bighorn Sheep compared to deer and right. antelope yep. and even elk, right? right. And it's uh, uh, just a super cool animal and one that people love to watch. Again, it's a once-in-a-lifetime hunt if you get it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, and um, so, yeah, it's, it's a fun one to manage, somewhat some challenges. And I always, when I talk to the guys and gals, our managers, I always make the comment, it's amazing. It's one of the toughest critters you'll ever see, oh. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, from two rams going at it to the habitat that they survive in, and whatever, but yet one little strain of pneumonia Right, a cough. And yep. a little cough and sniffle, and the done. poor things yep. are done in a very, very short right. amount of time. It's just amazing on something so unique and so simple, but right. yet is so potent to a population like that. In a herd. I have to pick on her because she's not here, but Allie Ellingson, our graphic designer, her first ever commission meeting was June 2019. She was five days into the job, and we gave a full in-depth presentation on shedders, and she's looking at me, and she what is this? And I said, if you're sick, stay home. That's all. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You got a cough. She gave me a little nod and was like, okay. Uh, so, yeah, then going down the line, um, you know, uh, Byron Buckley talked about CWD and elk cl- fall classification. I think the, the key there is he might have been the smartest guy in the room. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> super, you know, super new, but super intelligent, good yeah. stuff. If you have an interest in that, like that elk and the CWD, CWD stuff, the work that they're doing on the ground is maybe not groundbreaking, but pretty damn close. Mm-hmm. Right on the edge of it. Yeah. Yep. yeah. But uh, getting into uh, probably another one that people have got their ear out is that AIS program update from Jake Davis. Yeah, Jake did a good job, again, giving an update to the commission and the public. Um, just the overview of what we have done for AIS program this year from inspections to communication and messaging about, you know, slowing the spread of aquatic invasive species. Um, so right now we're in the mode of, I'll say, quote, unquote, starting to wind down some of the key efforts for inspection stations, although there's still a few occurring out there, especially in western South Dakota. Um, but I think the other primary message that we talked about and would share again is for folks, you know, to make sure that this is the time of year where you start pulling out docks, winterizing, right. or boats, or other crafts, or whatever it might be, you know, this is time to take a hard look at them, look real close. If you see something that's even remotely suspicious, give us a call. 
yep. and we'll get the right staff out there to take a look. This is the time of year typically where we do find the confirmations of something spreading and, and it may not just be zebra mussels, it might be aquatic vegetation that's in mixed right. species as well. So if you ever have a question, just don't hesitate to reach out to our staff at a local level. Yeah, I think, you know, I think one thing that kind of stands out to me, you know, as we think about AIS right in the middle of the summer, and because that's when those villagers are out there, that's when they're literally free floating in the water and microscopic, but we didn't have any detections this summer, yeah. but now we've got, we had Roy Lake, we had the Big Sioux River below Camp Pesca, and then we had Big Stone Lake uh, last week, but that's like you said, this is the time to take a hard look because literally this is when these critters are hard. They yeah. were they were free floating microscopic right. in the summer months. Now they are attached. They are hard. Oh, yeah. So this so, is this is a normal thing to this for, this to be our time for discoveries. Whereas right. summer is it's our time to do our job and really slow the spread. But right. every time clean, drain, dry. Yeah. Yep. In my family, we have a cabin on Clear Lake, and they were pulling out the docks. I, I wasn't there. I accidentally missed that weekend when we pulled out the docks. But whoops, found them and you know. Took pictures and they were calling me and said yeah you, like, you know we knew they were there and right. all these are the first ones we've seen yeah you know but there was three little colonies on the docks and i yeah. said well now you got to remember you know when you're pulling those ski boats out and stuff they gotta have them dry the pontoon be checking everything when right. the docks are or when your boats are in the slips keep those motors up you know and i think it's those that visual that in-person visual where they're like oh i got it now Yep. You know, yep. exactly. And, and, you know, it's almost that mindset, too, because if, if you think about looking for zebra mussels on your boats, your docks, if they're there, you're going to find them. If, if you're driving down the road and you think about seeing a, and you're not thinking about seeing a yellow car, a yellow car is not going to stand out. Right. You decide you're going to look for a yellow car. My gosh, you're going to count a lot of yellow cars yeah. on the highway. Yeah. <laughs> is that what you do? Uh, well, I try to look you for antelope and deer. Trip, <laughs> you need to go on a road trip. Fast yellow cars. <laughs> Gotta keep myself entertained. I get bored. <laughs> well, we only got a few more minutes with uh, Director Kirschman uh, because he graciously gave us an hour, and I yep. think we're probably getting close to that. But uh, had a Lake Chub uh, discussion, which was really interesting. You know, it's one of those species that people don't think of, but super rare, and, and what we're doing there, and talking about GPA uh, habitat and public use assessment, which is a big, big deal for us. Um, it really is, and, and Wenninger killed that. Um, interesting stuff but i think the next big ticket item if you will is just that shooting complex out west yeah i mean things are really moving forward right now we uh uh just here a couple weeks ago we had put out for bid for doing the groundwork which would be i.e doing all the dirt work for making the berms and the step number one of making this thing come to come to life and we got multiple bids on that and one was a very favorable one and so right now we're in the process of getting all the signatures signed for contracts and get paperwork in place and we're hopeful that groundbreaking is going to begin here in only a couple of weeks and that's that's our hope and desire and then the next step will be is we'll put out the bid letting for the above the structure work whether right. it's the building and the shooting platforms and all that other I'll say infrastructure that comes with the shooting range but so we're really excited where we are today, and we'll be really excited once we get uh, that equipment out there and start moving dirt and actually see this thing come into life. And we'll continue to share that with the public. And then the other uh, key thing that happened, we did put out an RFP for an individual to come in basically as a, I'll say a de- development director to go out and help raise funds, uh, private donations to go towards the shooting range, and we're excited that we had some good applications for that. We uh, selected uh, 
Tammy Bond from out there in the Sturgis mm-hmm. area, very familiar with the area, and she's starting out already. She's working with folks and making contacts and starting conversations and, and working to bring in private donations. And, you know, our goal there is to bring in $5 million of private donations yeah. to the project. And so we believe that she can do that, and we're excited about that opportunity. And I think that's that's one of those things, you know, once it's hard to sell and I went out and we flew the drone and we shot photos and it, it's a beautiful place but it's hard to sell that idea yeah but yep. once you get the dirt starting to move and oh okay this is coming to fruition folks get on board you know I yeah. think her job becomes at least more manageable and it's yep. not just like oh that's just a GFP pipe dream right it, it's more real at that right point. Yep. yeah we're moving forward you yeah know? So, yeah. And to me, it's just another one of those examples of realizing what goes into these opportunities. This is going to be one of the premier shooting complexes in the country, but it starts out as, as a rangeland. Right. It starts out as a bid yeah. process. It starts out moving dirt. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, the things that go into it for that end ult- ultimate opportunity, that's the, that's what I just find fascinating about my job. As, yeah. If you can't tell in this last hour. <laughs> it's going to be a phenomenal project when all said and done. It's going to be a great place to go shoot. Yeah, and much much needed out there yeah, for sure. Um, that reminds me, I got to get a hold of Kanta, and we got to get some uh, cameras and stuff. Yes, we do out there, and, and so it's, we can it's starting soon. Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, I think you know. Other than we did change meeting locations for the November meeting, yep. it's going to be in Madison. I think a one day meeting. One day. Thursday in Madison. Yep. So uh, you know, if you anybody out there, you're listening, you got. Uh, any way you want to chime in and everything, it is going to be a Thursday meeting in Madison. Um, uh, and I think it's it'll be another interesting one. I'm probably not going to be there, by the way, just to tell you that. Yeah, so. he's already he's already put me in charge of it, so... <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> but, you know, May the stars bring, align. You know, it does bring challenges. Every meeting brings challenges, and, and everybody kind of laughs about it, but... You know, you guys come in at 11 o'clock and Nick and I are sweating and you can always tell how it's going by the way we're stomping around the, or if we're the sitting. facial expressions Or if we're all. sitting working on our computers, you know, everything is fine at the I'm moment. I'm eating sandwiches <laughs> down there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it'll be a good meeting. But, yeah, it did move to Madison November 2nd, yep. so at yep. uh, 1 o'clock um, Eastern or Central Time, Eastern South Dakota time. I was, well, yep. was going to say. Eastern but, South Dakota yeah. time. Yes. You should be a Mets fan. Yeah. I live on Eastern right. time in the summer. <laughs> but, uh Tommy Kirschman, thank you for your time. We appreciate yeah. the heck out of it. Uh, everybody out there, get out there this weekend. This is why we live here. This is why we do the things we do, so we can uh, enjoy another opening weekend. We only get so many of them in our lifetime. So this is the this coming weekend is the Christmas hunting yes, holiday. So yes, it's, uh, yes, in orange. Yes, yeah, we're so rolling out the orange carpet. Hope for everybody has a chance to go out and enjoy. It's going to be a phenomenal fall. Perfect. Tommy Kirschman, thanks again, buddy. Thank thanks, you. Tom. Seeing how to meet